Welcome to First Baptist Church. You're listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. I just want to welcome you back to the third and final part of our series titled Giving Thanks with a Grateful Heart. And uh, the reality is, is Thanksgiving is now upon us. In fact, it's going to be this week. And, and many of us are going to go in our own directions and we're going to spend time with our families um, out of town, right? Uh, in fact, many of you will, will go out of town to see your family. Some of you will stay home and you will cook. And, and for most of us, though, the, this Thanksgiving holiday is going to involve a big meal, probably going to have a turkey. Uh, more, and, more than likely, we'll have the, all the trimmings like cranberry sauce and, and pumpkin pie and stuffing and all um, the stuff that goes with Thanksgiving, and there's going to be football and laughter and, and, and good conversations and then the sound of somebody snoring as one of our me- uh, family members succumb to the effects of tryptophan they get from their turkey. And, uh, and some of us are going to spend a peaceful, quiet time with those that we love. And others, for us, Thanksgiving is going to be about pressing some unruly family members together in a close, confined space, and hopefully that there won't be any fights or arguments that break out. But regardless of your family tradition around this holiday, ultimately it's about taking some time um, and, and giving thanks to God for what he has done. And that is exactly what Thanksgiving is about. It's about, it's about all of us taking time to thank God for what he has done. At least that's what it's supposed to be. Because the truth is, um, giving thanks to God is really an important part of our lives. The idea of gratitude and expressing that gratitude by giving thanks really is a vitally important part of our lives, especially for those of us who have put our faith in Christ. Because, because the truth is simply this. You and I, we have so very much to be thankful for, especially, as I said, if you're a Christ follower. You and I have a lot to be thankful for. The fact that you are breathing it. Your heart is beating is a reason to be thankful. The fact that, that, that you were able to make it here this morning is another reason to be thankful. The fact that you and I can meet here without fear of being arrested or killed is another reason to be thankful. The fact that, that you have food to eat, clothes on your back, electricity in your home, a warm bed, running water and transportation. All of these are some reasons to be thankful to God. Not to mention the fact of what God has done through Christ to save you and to give you a relationship with God himself. You and I have a lot to be thankful about. And let me just tell you, to the degree that you have in your daily life, right, that you walk in gratitude and practice thanksgiving to God, to the degree that you have gratefulness in your heart towards God tells a lot about who you are. And about where your heart is. It tells a lot about you as a person. And it tells a lot about you as a follower of God. It tells a lot about the condition that your heart is in. And as we talked about in in, in these last few weeks. It does so in three basic ways. Number one. It says a lot about what I like to call your spiritual temperature. Which is exactly what we talked about in week one of this series. We talked about the fact that your gratitude level is a good indication of your spiritual temperature or your spiritual health, because those who have a vibrant, healthy spiritual life tend to be people who are grateful towards God. And those who don't have a healthy spiritual life tend to be people who are not so grateful. And as we talked about in week one, the simple fact is that your gratitude level is a good indicator of your spiritual health. And it it, it highlights three conditions in your life related to your spiritual health. The first one being um, your gratitude level indicates where your heart belongs. You see, your gratitude level is a good indication of who your heart belongs to. You can only have your heart belong to one or of two people. It's either you or it's God. That's 
all, the only people your heart can belong to. And you can say to me, well, Sherman, my, my heart belongs to this other person. And I'm going to tell you, you might believe that, but ultimately still about you. If your heart belongs to another person, it's because you have something in your heart for that person. It's still about you. Your heart either belongs to you or belongs to God. And people who tend to be grateful tend to have their hearts and their minds focused on God. And people who are not so grateful tend to be focused on themselves. Their hearts tend to be fixed on themselves and their own wants and desires and appetites and their own ambitions. And then number two, your gratitude level shows a lot about about your devotional life and what it's like. Your gratitude level towards God is usually directly correlated to the quality of your devotional time that you spend with God. It's a good indication of your spiritual health because the truth is simply this. The more time you spend with God, the more you're typically going to be grateful to him. The more time you spend with God, you know, in, in his word and in prayer and in worship, the more you can, you can see how good God is to you and the more you will tend to be grateful to him. Well, on the other hand, when you're not spending regular time with God, it's easy to lose sight of his goodness and what he does for you. It's easy to lose sight of the things uh, that he does and assume that God really isn't doing anything for you. And when that happens, you become less and less mindful of God and you become less and less grateful toward God. And then the third thing that your gratitude level says about your spiritual health is that it speaks to how important the gospel is to you. Because, because the simple truth is this, if it, you're a broken sinner... You and I are broken sinners, hopelessly incapable of saving ourselves. But God, in his abundant mercy, sent his son to die for you and for me so that we can have eternal life. And I'm going to tell you right now that, my friends, is all of the reason you need to be grateful toward God. All you need to be grateful toward God is the fact that he, he solved the greatest problem you're ever going to face. Not to mention all the other things that God has done for you and is doing for you right now. You see... If the gospel is important to you, if your salvation is important to you, then you will be naturally grateful toward God because God has taken care of the greatest problem you're ever going to face, your eternal destination. But if you find yourself that you're not walking in gratitude, it's a good indication that of one of two things. Either the gospel isn't so important to you, or you just really didn't understand the problem to begin with. And we in America really have this tendency not to really understand the problem. Because we think our problems are about the here and now and not about eternity. You didn't actually understand the gospel or what God has done for you. So the first big idea we talked about in week one is your gratitude level. Um, it, it really is, is like a spiritual thermometer that measures your spiritual health. And your spiritual health is an indication of those three things. And then the second big idea, which we talked about last week, is the idea that your level of gratitude that you have towards God in your life actually is a good indicator of your ability to stand firm against sin and in temptation in self-control or to fall headlong into sin. Because as we talked about, gratitude at its basic level is simply this. It is, it is a kindness given or shown by someone like God, which is followed then by a response of thankfulness or unthankfulness to that kindness. God is kind to you. God has given you life and you respond either with gratitude or ingratitude. And the difference between the two really comes down to where your heart and your mind is. If your heart and mind is focused on God, then you will be able to see what God is doing for you in your life. And you'll be able to be thankful toward him. On the other hand, if your heart and mind are not focused on God and they're focused away from God, you are less likely to notice what God has done for you. And you will tend to become inwardly focused and selfish. 
And the reason why this affects your ability to, to resist sin is very simple. The closer you are to God, the more that your heart is connected to God, the more focused you are on God, the more grateful you are, will be toward him, the less focused you are on yourself, and the less likely you will willingly walk in sin away from God. But on the other hand, when you're not so grateful to God, it's a good indication that you have not focused on him and you're not mindful of him. And you're not mindful of all that God has done for you. And when that happens, you become inwardly focused and you begin to focus on yourself. And you become increasingly selfish and increasingly likely to fall into sin. And we talked about the story of Adam and Eve, how that bears that out. You have two perfect people living in a perfect environment, and yet they're tempted to disobey God because they have one rule to follow. I mean, God gave them one rule. Don't eat of one tree. Of all of the trees in the Garden of Eden, don't eat of this one. That's it. That's all that they were told not to do. But in their ingratitude toward God and all that he did for them, it led them to feel like God was holding out on them, right? They became inwardly focused and fell into sin. They weren't focused on what God had done for them. They were focused on what God wasn't doing for them. That's what ingratitude is. Now, this week, we're going to briefly talk about the third big idea about your attitude of gratitude when it says about your life. And it really is, is what it really tells the world is it really tells the world what kind of life is in you. And what I mean by that is people who tend to be grateful tend to be filled with light and hope. They tend to be life-giving. People who are grateful tend to be gracious and life-giving. But those who are not grateful tend to be dark and pessimistic and grumpy and life-consuming. They tend to be negative and unforgiving and demanding and forceful and even opinionated. And, and, and we all know people like that. I mean, we all know Christians like that. People who are sarcastic and judgmental and ungracious. Right? Ungrateful, tend, ungrateful people tend to be life-consuming, and grateful people tend to be life-giving. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And, and today what we're, what we're going to do is we're going to look at a couple of stories in the Old Testament that illustrate this principle. But, but there's something I, I want you to keep in mind when you hear these stories, okay? Because what you're going to hear these stories is an extreme level of ingratitude. Because, that's, because that ingratitude is so extreme, the consequences in these stories is also very extreme. So this is an extreme picture. And I tell you this because what I want you to do is we all have varying degrees of ingratitude in our life. All right. That, that we don't, we, 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 that the things that we need to be mindful of is our ingratitude doesn't necessarily need to be, you know, extreme for it to be destructive and life consuming. This is an important thing to understand. Okay. These are extreme pictures of ingratitude with extreme consequences, but you have to understand your ingratitude does not have to be this extreme for it to be destructive and life consuming in your own personal life. And so these stories are on the extreme side uh, in order to really highlight the details so that we can see the truth uh, about ingratitude and how we can fix that and apply the truth to our lives. And so this first story is found in Numbers chapter 14. And we're going to pick up that story in verse 1. But before we jump right in here, let me just 
set this up for you. This is one of the stories that we, we looked at last week. God leads the Israelites to the edge of the promised land. And he, and he, and he promised he would give them this possession. This is something that they've been hearing about since they were kids. Okay, it was called the promised land. And God had personally led these people to the place where he had, you know, where, where he would taken care of them. He'd taken care of their needs in a miraculous way. He'd, 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 he's provided for them at every step of the way. He's personally them, led them. Right? He's rescued them from Egypt. He has helped them to cross the Red Sea. He has performed miracle after miracle after miracle to prove that he's with them and that he is for them. And they get all the way to the edge of the promised land. God had promised right, that, that, that they could have this land and this promise is about to come true. But the people, for some reason, refuse to go in and take possession of the land. They refuse because 12 spies went in to check things out. And two of them came back and said, hey, this is great. We, we, we can take this land. God is with us. But then 10 of them said, nope, we're not going in there. This land is filled full of giants. And this land consumed people. This is too scary and too hard. There's no way we're going to be able to drive these people out. Right? And so God's people decide on their own. Right? We're not going to do this. They lose their nerve at the last minute. And then we read, and then the congregation raised a a loud cry and the people wept that night and all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Haven't you noticed how um, ungrateful people tend to grumble? They tend to complain. They tend to gripe. Ungrateful people tend to be grumpy and cynical and they tend to find fault, always looking for the negative side. Ingratitude makes people grumpy. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry and the people wept that night and the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, would that we had died in the land of Egypt or would that we had died in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into the land, into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader to go back to Egypt. Now, Think about this. I mean, I want you to listen to what they're asking for. They're asking to go back to Egypt. They're asking to go back into slavery. They're going, they're asking for a new leader, one who will turn around and take them all the way back to where they came from. You see, these people are so inwardly focused and so ungrateful that they now have come, become self-destructive. Okay. They, they want to take everything that they have gained and all that was accomplished and all that God has done for them and throw it away. Their families were enslaved for 400 years. And all they'd heard about since they were kids is one day, one day, God will send someone to deliver us and he will set us free and we will enter into the promised land, the land that God promised our forefathers. And here they are standing at the brink of all of their hopes and all the hopes of previous generations. All their dreams about to come true. God has visibly been with them. God has demonstrated his faithfulness. He, has, he, has, he says, take the land. And these people refuse to go and take the land. Instead, they want to go back to what? They want to go back to Egypt. They want to go back to slavery. That's the ingratitude. That's the destructive ingratitude in their lives. 
And it's really destructive to them. Because look at, look at verse 5. Then Moses and Aaron you know, fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of all the people of Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, The land which we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights, and obviously he does delight in them, if the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. We can eat them up. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. You see, Moses and Aaron and Caleb and Joshua, Joshua, they all understand what's about to take place here. They understand what's at stake. They understand what's happening and and they see the ingratitude of these people threatening the dream that God had promised. And they beg, they beg these people not to allow this ingratitude to cause them to rebel against God. They try to remind him, look at what God's done for us. We can do this. But then verse 10, then all of the congregation said to stone them with stones. They were going to kill them. Yeah, we don't like you dudes no more. So we're going to go ahead and kill you. It didn't matter. Never mind the fact that you like saved us and rescued us and got us through the, the Red Sea. Never mind the fact that every time we you know, needed something, you call, talk to God and he's provided for us. Never mind that every turn that you have been praying for us and when God wanted to kill us before, we're going to go ahead and pick up stones to kill you. But then it says, but the glory of God appeared at the tent of the meeting to all the people of Israel. In verse 11, it says, and then Moses said, the Lord said to Moses, how long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs I have done among them? God's like, what else do I have to do? I mean, seriously, what else do I have to do to prove to them that, that I am with him. What else do I have to do to make them believe? What else do I have to do to make these ungrateful people grateful enough that they will trust me and follow me? I have done gigantic miracles in front of them. I have performed incredible signs. They have heard my voice. They have seen my pillar of fire and pillar of smoke. They watched the Red Sea get parted. They, have, they, don't, they wake up every morning and their breakfast is on the ground ready for them. What else do I have to do? This ingratitude has made them blind and negative and bitter and grumpy. And it has made them self-destructive. Right? And because that God is going to punish them. Now understand, God, according to this text, was about to kill them. In fact, he said, you know, I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them. And I will make you, Moses, a greater nation and mightier than they. But Moses interceded, as he always does, and he begs God not to destroy them. And he relents, and, he, and, and, and God decides not to kill them, but he still punishes them. And we read about that beginning in verse 20, and it says, Then the Lord said, I have pardoned, I'm not going to kill them, I have pardoned according to your word. But truly, as I live, and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. None of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness 
and yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not obeyed my voice shall see the land I have swore to give to their fathers. And none of those who have despised me shall see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land into which he went and his descendants shall possess it. Now, since the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell in the valleys, turn tomorrow and set out for the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. God says, fine. You want to be like that? Then you'll never see the promised land. Turn around. We're going the other way. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, how long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? How long are they going to complain? How long are they going to be so negative and critical? I've heard the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they have grumbled against me. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing, I will do to you. Your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness. And all of your number listed in the census from 20 years old and upward. You have grumbled against me. Not one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. You see, they said, wouldn't it be better for us to die in the wilderness? And God said, fine, that's how you want it. That's how it's going to be. None of you are going to make it in. You see, their ingratitude, their ingratitude was life consuming. God may not have killed them right away, but ultimately they lost everything. They were on the verge of getting all their hopes and dreams and then they would spend the rest of their life on the road not knowing what it was like to enter into the promised land. And they will never, ever experience it. And understand, understand what the cost was here. The cost was 40 years. 40 years. An entire generation will die in the desert. But more than that, though, think about this. More than that, their children... And their grandchildren, many of their great-grandchildren, will also lose 40 years. Think about this. 40 years of living in prosperity they lost out on because they had to wander the desert with their, with their parents and their grandparents. 40 years of growing up where things were good, instead wandering around the desert for 40 years. 40 years of having, to, to, having no permanent home. 40 years of living as vagabonds. 40 years of not being in the promised land is what it cost their children and their grandchildren and even some of their great-grandchildren. Not only that, Caleb and Joshua also lost 40 years. They were already grown men when they got to the edge of the promised land. They were losing 40 years wandering around waiting for this ungrateful generation to, to die. They lost 40 years of productivity in the promised land. 40 years <clears throat> of building up their land and their inheritance. But do you know who lost the most? Moses. Because Moses never got to enter into the promised land. You see, he was 80 years old at this point. <clears throat> and it was during this 40 years of wandering in the desert that, that, that Moses gets provoked at these people and he ends up disobeying God and he gets disqualified to enter the promised land. See, Moses was sent and he obeyed God and he rescued the people and he led these people and he interceded for these people and, and he continually stood up for these people and he continually kept God from killing these people. 
And this is their final betrayal of Moses. Because now he has to turn around with them and he will never, ever enter the promised land. You see, ingratitude is destructive and life-consuming. And not just for the person who's ungrateful. It is life-consuming for everyone around that person. Everyone around them is affected by it. And it's the same for you. If you're ungrateful toward God, you become inwardly focused and you become negative and dark and life-consuming. It affects everyone around you. It affects your spouse. It affects your kids. It affects your parents. It affects your coworkers. It affects your church family. It can even affect your entire community. The negative effects of ingratitude ripple out into the rest of the world. Your grumpy, negative attitude affects everyone around you. Now, it might not cost you and everyone around you 40 years of their life wandering the desert. But it's still destructive nonetheless. And it still comes with a cost. In fact, let's look at the story in Numbers chapter 21. Beginning in verse 4, it says, From Mount Hor they sent out by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient. I don't know if you ever noticed, but ungrateful people typically are not only grumpy, but they tend to be really impatient as well. Okay, so they from Mount Hor, they set out by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against Moses, against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? Haven't we settled this already? Okay, why haven't you brought, why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food that we have. Okay, these people, they just don't get it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Ingratitude makes people really blind. God rescued them. He led them. He has provided for their needs every single day. God takes them to the edge of the promised land. He's about to lead them in. They refuse to enter. God's like, fine, don't go in. All right? God could have just like wiped them out of the face of the earth, but he decides to spare them, right? And he continues to personally lead them and he continues to personally take care of them and he continues to personally provide for them. And all these people can do is gripe. Look what they say. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness, right? Because being a slave is preferable to being free, right? (laughs) For there is no food or no water, even though God continually provided those things. And we loathe this worthless food, this worthless food that shows up miraculously every single morning out of nowhere. They don't have to work for it. They don't have to plant it. They don't have to harvest it. They don't have to go to the grocery store. They don't have to do anything for it. It shows up every day. This food that was provided to them every single day by the hand of God, this worthless food, this manna. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, this would be a really comical story if it weren't true. And and the worst part is is that you and I know people that are just like this. People who are this ungrateful. People who are so ungrateful that, 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 that God gives them incredible gifts, but they despise them. I know people like this. You know people like this. You might even be one of these people, right? But this kind of ingratitude is so very destructive and it affects everyone. Notice what happens. Verse six. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. 
Ingratitude is destructive and life-consuming. Ingratitude leads to negative consequences for the ingrate and everyone around them. I mean, we might not end up being bit by snakes, but we will still suffer the consequences of our ingratitude nonetheless. Verse 7, And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he takes away the serpents from us. Finally, they have this little moment of clarity, right? The people come face to face with the fact that their ingratitude has led them to this destruction, right? Their ingratitude has led them headlong into sin. This ingratitude has caused them to become inwardly focused. And now they're facing their destruction because of that, right? Ingratitude is selfish. Ingratitude is sinful. Ingratitude is destructive. And not just for you, But for everyone around you, it's destructive for your kids and your spouse and your friends and your relatives and your co-workers and your community members. Now, most now one of the most important things in the story, though, one of the most important parts of the story is the fact that God ends up using this moment to point out to them. And to us, the ultimate good. And the goodness of, and the graciousness of God. That God, even though these people were so ungrateful to him. And spiteful to him. In spite of all of that, God still has a plan. To ultimately bring salvation to the world. I don't know about you. But my patience would have ended a long time ago. But God still sees fit. To bring salvation to mankind. And it says, so Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Now, this might seem like a strange kind of story, but let me share something with you. A conversation that takes place in John chapter three that's related to this. Beginning verse 1, it says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know you were a teacher come from God, for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen. But you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man. And then notice this, he says, 
And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, he's talking about this story in Exodus. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that in spite of their brokenness and rampant ingratitude, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. You see, God is continually good. Even when we are bitter and angry and ungrateful, God still extends to us mercy. Now, he may chastise us and he may punish us, right? But he's so good to us, right? This is the story, right? But this story in the desert reminds us of the fact that even though that we fail and even though we fall short, even though that we come up empty, God is faithful and he loves us and he is kind, right? He is kind to us and that kindness should then lead us to repentance and then ultimately to gratitude. And ultimately, it's not what we know. But it's what we do with what we know. And so what are we going to do with this knowledge? What are we going to do with what we just learned? What are we going to do with, what, with these stories and what they're teaching us about gratitude? Your gratitude level tells a lot about your spiritual health. Your gratitude level is a good indication of your strength to fight off sin and temptation. Your gratitude level exposes what kind of life is in you. Are you life-giving or not? Are you grateful and life-giving or are you ungrateful and grumpy and negative and life-consuming? Right? Is gratitude... Ingratitude in is life-consuming and destructive. And it's not just for you, but for everyone else around you. So are you living a life-giving life or a life-consuming life? Or put another way, do you bring life to the, your relationships, to your family, to your friends, to your co-workers, to, to those around you? Or are you someone who sucks the life of everybody else around you? Your gratitude level is a good indication of that either way. So here's what I want you to do with this as we wrap up this series and as we get ready for Thanksgiving. This week, as you prepare to spend time with your family, however you may do that, I want you to take time this week and to pray to God a simple and short prayer. And it goes like this. Lord, help me to walk in gratitude. So I can bring life to those I love. That's it. Every day between now and Thanksgiving, just pray this one little prayer. Lord, help me to walk in gratitude so that I can bring life to those I love. Do that this week and watch what God does in your life and your relationships. Lord, help me to walk in gratitude so I can bring life to those I love. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, as we go our ways, some of us traveling and some of us not, 
as we make our way to family's house, as we make our way to our friends' houses, as we, you know, make a point to get back together, as we gather around the table, as we meet with our family members and see smiling faces again. Lord, I just pray that you would just prepare our hearts to be grateful and to be life-giving. I pray, Father God, that we would take this seriously, that we would walk in gratitude, Lord, that every single day, in every single way, we have a reason to be thankful. The fact that I can breathe, the fact that I can stand, the fact that I'm awake, the fact that I'm alive, the fact that my children are alive, the fact that my wife is alive, the fact that I have these friends and this church family, and I live in a country where I'm free to, to openly proclaim your name, are just the tiniest tip of the iceberg of all the things I have to be grateful for. And I pray that we'd all walk in that, that Lord, we'd all be mindful of that, Lord, that we'd stop with the incessant selfishness and the obsession about what we don't have and what we, what, what we don't get and how things don't always go our way, that we would focus on all the things that we have to be grateful for because you are good. Ultimately, this life is only pointing to the, to the eternal life that we have. This life's but a shadow. And I pray that all of us would walk in the gratitude, the light of the gratitude, so we know eternally that you've taken care of us. And I pray, Father, for everybody here that we would walk in that and we would grow in that and that we would share that and that we would be life-giving, Lord, all of us, to the point that we would be willing to share the hope of Christ with all that we know. And I pray that you'd raise up a people in this congregation who desperately are passionate for your name and who are willing to go out and share the hope and the healing of Jesus Christ with our community and our world. And Father, that we would just be a people sold out to you, repentant and grateful for your kindness to us. I pray your protection over all of those who are going places and all those who are staying home. I pray for all of our church family and those who visit. We love you and praise you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. And please consider partnering with us financially as we share the hope and the healing of Jesus Christ with our community and with the world.